Hello, welcome to the Quest series. My name is Alan Mulham. This is the second in the mini-series on Beethoven, looking at his third symphony. In the last episode, we explored the first movement. And in this episode, we look at the second movement. Beethoven's music was scarcely understood or appreciated when it was first performed in 1804. From the beginning, it did have a select group of ardent admirers, but the reception was mostly one of criticism or confusion. Some performances actually stopped after the second movement. A prominent music journal in 1807 wrote, This finale is long, very long, contrived, very contrived. Indeed, several of its merits lie somewhat hidden. They presuppose a great deal if they are to be discovered and enjoyed. Others felt Beethoven was playing ridiculous games or showing off. In short, the critical consensus was that it was too long, conceited, contrived, too bizarre, complicated and difficult. Some recommended shortening it and producing greater clarity. By contrast, in 2016, over 200 years later, the BBC Music magazine conducted a survey of 150 conductors across the world and this symphony was judged the greatest of all time. It may seem difficult for the modern audience who have passed through so many phases of art and music to appreciate the vast difference between Beethoven and Haydn, for example, or to really feel the difference between the classical and romantic periods. Beethoven is often placed somewhere in between, although I think of him as belonging to the Romantic period. For the audience that listened to Beethoven had been shaped by classical conceptions of music and art in general. For them, music was ordered, harmonious, Apollonian. It belonged to the higher realms, and the individual composer, artist, performer or listener was initiated ideally into something approaching the music of the spheres. Individual emotion was hardly permitted, except insofar as it served these ends. When the underworld was represented, again it was part of an ordered and harmonious whole. Classical music had rules of beauty, aesthetics, harmony, development and resolution. One can see how such music suited the structure of a semi-feudal society with its monarchies, aristocracies and rigid class structures, how it represented their class interests, expressed their view of an ideal world in which the dark and sometimes revolutionary forces were absent. It reminds me somewhat of the stoic aristocratic philosophy in the ancient world of Greece and Rome, in which the harmony, perfection and order of the cosmos was meant to be imitated by mankind. Yes, music, literature, painting, dance, let's just call it art, do, among other things, express the social, political and even the ideological forces of the age. What confused the audiences of Beethoven was that, on the one hand, he mastered all the above to a supreme degree, while on the other, he was revolutionary, Dionysian, volcanic, plutonic. He broke the rules because he was searching for new forms of consciousness. 
he could not be contained in the old classical forms, which suffocated him like the aristocracy outraged him. For instance, time and time again, he would lead the audience on a wonderful development path in the music, and then stop just before resolution seemed imminent. Some critics thought he was playing ridiculous games, and could not understand that old forms could not contain his genius, his consciousness, which felt impelled to break the old forms apart and create a new world order, for consciousness to be freed of its imprisonment and experience liberation. Incidentally, some of the themes of the Third Symphony were prefigured in the finale to the ballet The Creatures of Prometheus, composed in 1801. Prometheus was a subject that fascinated Beethoven because it was Prometheus who forged the original consciousness or the original mankind by sending to heaven and stealing the fire from the gods. A very good metaphor for what Beethoven felt he was doing. For Beethoven, also for Wagner later in the century, musical coitus interruptus was central to his nature. He did provide resolution, but not in the old forms. He had to pass through hell before he reached his heaven, and the audience had to accompany him on this mythic journey of descent and disintegration before rebirth was possible. Naturally, many resisted, as they sensed it was taking them down a path of disintegration which they could experience as madness. Many sensed that not only their individual sense of order and identity was imperiled, but also that Beethoven's music was leading them to a position that embraced Napoleon and revolution, undermining that which they valued in the old order. Beethoven's support for Napoleon was open and unashamed. Imagine the anger this would have caused the aristocratic class from which his patrons came. Imagine the danger to him personally, as Napoleon was threatening to, and indeed did, invade Austria and Vienna, the city where Beethoven lived and worked. Some of the first public performances in Vienna were at the time of the invasion, and the theatre was filled with French troops. Beethoven's music put the struggle of the individual, its agony and ecstasy, at the centre of the performance. Music in his hands was being reshaped, forming a new stage of human consciousness. This is the journey of the hero, hence the Eroica. It may start with Napoleon and the politics of the day. It proceeds through the individual struggle of the composer, rapidly going deaf and faced with suicide. But it then reaches out, as we shall see, to the archetypal and transcendent. The second movement, our topic in this episode, begins with the famous funeral march. The world's greatest? Chopin's funeral dirge and Wagner's Siegfried funeral march are also later superb examples of the genre. Beethoven's second movement divides in two parts. The death of the hero and then the hint of resurrection. The funeral march can also be thought of as a descent into death. The descent in this movement amazingly has a turning point and a rebirth possibility. If you find it difficult to personalise this, then it can be envisaged as the loss of the best that is in the human race. You may think of this as the story of human consciousness itself. 
in this case, loss, decline and death of that which was noble, wonderful, inspiring and creative. Or, more personally, one can feel it as an extraordinarily moving journey within oneself. Perhaps the experience of great loss or melancholy, the losing of one's way, the sufferings of life, rejections, traumas, abuse, the approach of death. But so many questions are raised by Beethoven in this descent. One feels these questions in the pauses, the repetitions, the doubts and despair, the fresh attempts at finding a way through, the temporary victories and joys. Beethoven's music has received in the modern world such acclaim because it operates on all the above levels, personal, collective, mythical and transcendent. One feels as if in touch with some underlying noumenal world, the essence of human experience in this world. Beethoven not only lived this personally, but through his art, he found a way forward out of his loneliness, isolation and despair. Incidentally, he never married, although he wanted to, nor had he children. For someone who gave so much love in his music, he was tragically deprived of it in his life. After the first movement's triumph, Beethoven, instead of portraying the death of the hero, fast-forwards to the funeral itself, where we follow the cortege or watch the coffin borne aloft through the anguished crowds. For those who feel strongly that great music should not or cannot be thematic, I ask you to feel if this music could be anything other than a funeral march. Indeed, that's its title in the score. Great music can be thematic, as well as archetypal. Thank you once again to BBC Radio 3, whose recording in 2005 was made available on the Internet Archive under the Creative Commons label, from which all these extracts are taken. To start, the main theme, the Marcia Funebre, is solemnly laid out. A lament. The death of the hero, or descent to the underworld.
Beethoven pauses after the presentation of this deeply moving lament and then lingers as if it were in the grave with the atmosphere brooding and solemn yet deep questioning and pondering as if he is going to the roots of himself as if he is questioning his reason for living is there any hope in here in this grave is there any light in the darkness is there any point of going on all his hopes seemed dashed his titanic creativity most cruelly shattered by the increasing deprivation of his hearing could a bitter and frustrated life be worth living if he was deprived of his music well that would be like his soul being destroyed why was he given such immense talent to have it taken away from him the myth of prometheus must have been so close and bitter for beethoven for having stolen the fire from the gods consciousness and creativity prometheus was punished by zeus he was chained high to a mountain rock for eternity and each day a vulture would come and tear open his flesh and eat his liver while each night in the darkness the grave as it were it would heal and so the process was repeated forever The music attempts to rise, but then returns to the underworld. At this point in the music, we have passed the Napoleonic analogies, the confident battles of heroic youth. This is pure Beethoven, his struggle against depression and despair. So in the music after the lament, Beethoven descends to his own underworld and we accompany him, astonished because he is awake in that darkness, brooding and intense, looking for a reason to live, seeking his light and wondering if his creativity is there. He reaches his lowest point, the dark night in search of his soul. But then the second part begins with a different theme. As opposed to the first part, this is ascending and hopeful, like a quickening, at first slowly, through the wind section.
is then repeated, slowly ascending, then falling away again and returning to the lament. Then Beethoven pauses as he summons his energies. He again ascends on the wind in an act of rebirth. At first hearing this, it seems very strange for a funeral march. Where is he going on this? As always, Beethoven makes numerous attempts in the ascent, in the struggle for the light. Here, he is on his second attempt at the ascent. This stunning and unexpected development comes out of the dark point, the Nadaya. It is acclaimed by the full orchestra. However, he then falls back, as it were, to the grave, to his dark platform, the Lament. but only to start again. next expressed in the music at the signs of rebirth and the theme rises again with greater strength and confidence. It declares it has risen from the dead almost a triumph. One thinks Beethoven might conclude here but typical of him he stops everything. He is not content with what most composers would have died for. He refuses to round this development off so he starts all over again and returns to the basic theme of the funeral march, seeking something else. What could it be? All common musical sense, i.e. what the audience expect, is for the movement now to come to an end on the reiteration of the solemn funeral march. And indeed, this is what he appears to start doing. But then Beethoven takes an unexpected path. He starts another ascent, quite unlike the previous one. He climbs to cosmic immensity, like Prometheus ascending to the heavens to steal the fire of the creative spirit. He presents a cosmic riddle, the first hint at a transcendent completion and resolution which actually is later repeated at the end of the fourth movement, and which I believe is the core of the third symphony. He presents the essence of himself and his journey, that which has saved him from despair and suicide. I don't think anyone has done this before in music. This was revolutionary. This was his experience of transcendence out of death. This is the core of the Eroica, not the brash battling triumph, but the ascent from the grave 
into cosmic intensity. This is where he touches the divine. No wonder audiences find it so difficult to understand or are rocked to their core by such music. I suggest that this is not just about Napoleon or even Beethoven. It is about consciousness itself, at this juncture finding its ultimate validity in the transcendent. The funeral march is repeated and rounded off, but the movement ends with a mystery. Is there something beyond this fallen state, death and loss? It has been glimpsed, partially experienced, but can it be real? <laughs> 